Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. today's episode, we're going to focus on performance, especially as it relates to speed on the football field. And joining me to discuss this is the creator of the Feed the Cats program, Tony Holler. Tony, it's great to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Well, Coach, you've, you've done a lot in your career, and uh, you know I've, I've been aware of you for uh, uh, some time now, and, and uh, kind of the people who are in the uh, football track consortium that you hold every year. But for our listeners, if you would give us a, just a little bit of your, your background, I guess that, that got you to this point where your focus has become, um, especially for football, the, the program that you call feed the cats. Sure. Well, I, first of all, I was a, the son of a Hall of Fame basketball coach for 47 years. My dad spent in the business and um, of my four kids, two of my sons are also uh, very good football and, and track coaches. So it, it really is, you know, our family business. Um, I've been a small school, middle school and big school um, football, basketball and track coach at one time or another. Um, but uh, my main sport now is track and field. And my main focus is sprints. And that all started when I was 40, actually. Uh, I'd been a coach for 17 years. And at the age of 40 in, in 1999, I, uh, I, I decided that track sucked, you know, and, and the kids were, uh, were, uh, didn't look forward to practice. And so basically, I started Feed the Cats as, a, as just a, uh, a bold attempt to get wide receivers and dunkers from the basketball team come out for track and I told them that we were no longer going to run and they looked at me funny and I said no we're only going to sprint and we're going to sprint in small doses consistently and we're going to do a lot of jumping as well and then when the meets come around we are going to be faster happier and healthier than all of our opponents and by the way because I'm getting those good kids out for track we're going to have great talent as well and it just it just exploded in the last 21 years and so um, now the whole feed the guy hardly ever talked about feed the cats. I just said that fast kids were cats um, and, and good jumpers are cats. But here's the key thing I learned as this whole thing just exploded was 
the kids that came in as slow freshmen got faster and like track. And it continued throughout their four years. And many very generic kids that you wouldn't expect to blossom truly became very good, not elite, but very good track athletes. So even for people who are not cat-like, the cat-like training improves performance. Now, the thing that really put rockets uh, under the program was about seven years ago, I was asked to write an article and it ended, well, never ended. I've written about 250 now. And we just live in an, uh, an age where a, a nobody high school chemistry teacher can publish stuff. And so it's, it's, it's really, uh, that really spread the word and now in the last three years, it's really taken a foothold in American football. Well, it definitely has uh, it's some interesting things there, I think, to, to, to uh, follow up on. Um, that whole idea of how you approached track. I, I know at certain points when I was a high school coach, uh, I wanted my guys to run track. But, uh, you know, inevitably there were going to be some guys who – came back to us or who sat out part of that spring and, and couldn't train or couldn't do anything because of some, some injuries. And a lot of time it was, you know, oh. o- overtraining. And so as, as a, as a football coach, I'm thinking, I want these guys to get faster. They should be out for track, but then kind of thinking at the same time, man, I, I don't want to see these over overuse injuries. Now, I, eventually I, I was at a, a place where I, I thought, you know, very highly of the way that they trained and did things and, you know, our guys avoided all that, but, you know, there were other places where it just wasn't as good. Yes. Um, you know, I, with the track football consortium, we try to bring track and football coaches together, but we're not always nice to them. Uh, I, I believe the majority of football coaches, um, even if they think they're forward thinking, are very Neanderthal in their approach to speed and their prioritization of the weight room. And track coaches don't like those football coaches that are like that. Well, but track coaches have their own problem. The majority of track coaches are these people who read the, the uh, Clyde Hart propaganda, and they're running 12 200s. They're, um, their kids are getting injured, as you said. Um, and football coaches don't trust distance-based track coaches. So you're exactly right. What Feed the Cats does is – creates a program where it is, it is, if, if you're a football player running track, you're not doing it to get in shape. That was the, like the old school model. Instead, it's, my training is almost like the training for an NFL combine. And that really sets it apart from traditional track. So if we can get both football coaches and track coaches kind of on the same page, that performance and speed is the priority, it benefits both. And I know, Coach, this, this next thing we talk about probably is going to be a little bit controversial, and, and uh, the intention is certainly not to uh, insult anybody, but you know, as, as with any guests we have on this podcast, inspire some thinking here and to think things through. And I was going through your, your course the other day, and uh, a couple of things just stuck out to me. Number one, uh, the idea of, you know, especially in football, uh, the grind is the religion. And then uh, when you were talking, and, and off the top of my head, I cannot remember the coach's name, uh, but 
talking about the 14 point turnaround and, and what we do to our team, you know, what you equated it to is, you know, you're on the one yard line going in, decide to throw the ball and the ball gets picked and goes 99 the other way. And it's a 14 point turnaround. And, and what you equate that to, or the analogy is that it's a lot like what some of us do. And I can say I've, I have been there before and, you know, um, had to learn some other things, I guess, to, to find a better way is we make decisions with the time we have available with our athletes, uh, and do good things up to a point, And then, and then, uh, and then we have that 14 point turnaround. We throw a pick on the one yard line going in. Yes. And that guy was Vince Anderson, probably, um, uh, my favorite college track coach, um, had great success with Olympians and stuff at Texas A&M. And um, what, what he was talking about was for every time that you decide that you're going to focus on conditioning, let's say in the off season, that day you are missing a day of speed and power training, which is kind of like, okay, you didn't score the touchdown from the one guard line. But then because you are hardwiring horrible sprint technique by getting your guys super fatigued and probably ruining the next day of practice with the hard work that you think is going to help your guys somehow have a big aerobic engine and survive the fourth quarter, which is totally BS. Um, he calls it a 14 point turnaround. And it is just amazing when you say that I am no longer going to do conditioning. I'm not going to run gassers in a practice. I am only going to demand performance and high intensity, and we're going to give much more rest than any traditional football program ever did. Matter of fact, traditional football, they would jog between drills. They would jog between reps. You know, they would run back to the huddle. And all those things made practice look good. But what it did was basically practice. Every player was practicing in a constant state of fatigue. Add on to that the fact that they did that the day before. So they actually came in unrecovered. They came in fatigued. And so it's just a big fatigue fest all through the week. And then we want to go out and pull our socks up high and, and, and sprint like, like we're Olympic sprinters on game night. And we're shocked when we don't do that. So so yeah, it, it, it's really when you free yourself from the prison, the prison of volume and conditioning. It's just amazing how that improves performance. Yeah, coach. I know a lot of us. Again, we're, we're the the thought is we're making our guys tougher. We're going to win in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, and this has changed. I, I've seen changes for the positive. I know. Uh, I think a lot of it came about was made popular with, with Chip Kelly. I don't know that it originated uh, with him. I know I've had Eric Corum on the podcast talking about it. I've had Kurt Hester on the podcast talking about it. But uh, what they call in college the the Fast Friday, where these guys actually are are um, you know what I think what do they call it like uh, no no sweat um, Thursday Fast yeah. Friday right and trying to really watch the load of the players. I've also seen though. The, you know, we get caught in the grind. So fast Friday turns into maybe too much as well. And I, I know when I had Eric on, he gave specific recommendations to what that looks like. And I'll link that um, in our show notes, but really going to that whole idea 
you know, especially as we get into the season about that rest and recovery being important versus, I mean, you know, going back to the days I played and I still see guys doing, you know, get on the line and run gassers or, you know, we're going to run 10 or 15 or 20 forties, or we did this incredibly exhausting thing in, in, uh, in my high school, they called, uh, a Pittsburgh drill, no idea why, but it was it it, it was ten hundreds, eight eighties, six sixties, four forties, and two twenties, and and I know we did that at least once a week to the point where we all had shin splints. So, <laughs> not my favorite, yep. but but we do. The football is the most traditional sport. Um, I, I would think that probably the most revolutionary thing that's happened in football in the last forty years came um from how mummy when he was at iowa wesleyan when um when gene stallings was still up three yards and a cloud of dust guy at alabama we had uh, an outlier um doing you know coming up with air raid and so many times tradition is just impossible to break because it's it's a top-down organization and you know you talked about pregame one of the biggest mistakes in pregame is people go half as long but their number ones get every rep and so so their number ones are uh are are just as tired as they would be in a normal practice um another problem is that uh even coaches who buy into the don't burn the steak mentality man as soon as they lose they are so programmed to go to default we lost because of toughness or we lost because we're not in shape. And so they double down the next week and then they lose again and then they get fired, you know? So it's, it's, it's a mess. But what I believe in, and, and I had lunch before with Jimmy Radcliffe, um, um, who basically wrote that program for Chip Kelly at, at, uh, at Oregon. And, and I really love the idea. This actually comes from another Oregon guy, Bill Bowerman, uh, who, who said that, that world records never come from moderate exercise. And I think that basically the tradition of football is to have moderate but long and hard and high effort exercise every damn day and then back off the day before a game. And so, so my plan is kind of a wave plan like Jimmy Radcliffe wrote up where if, if you were a, a, a college football coach, you would, you would try to have two performance practices every week. By performance practices, we're talking about practices where there will be max sprinting. Matter of fact, there there will even be a couple max sprints that will be measured. And I'm I would suggest getting a radar gun. And we're going to get to top speed. We're going to measure um, two top speeds from every player. And and we are going to give those guys incredible recovery times, uh, even more than the 20 to 30 seconds they would have in a game, because we are going to attempt to go faster and game speeds on those two performance days. And then on the other days, we are going to set up our high performance days by really backing off anything maximal. Uh, We are still going to coach football, do fundamentals. It's not a walkthrough. It's it's not like we're doing classroom activities. No, I call those fundamental practice. So if if you were going to go Tuesday, Thursday performance practice, you'd go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, fundamental practice. And the whole thing about fast Friday, that's fine. That just becomes one of your performance practices. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with having a performance practice that's short right before a game. So with, throughout that entire idea, you are prioritizing 
performance and speed, and you are deprioritizing toughness and conditioning. Matter of fact, those things are just wiped out because toughness is task specific. Eric Quorum says that, um, that we want toughness is how well you can execute. It's not how fatigued you can get, you know, or, or you know, like your tank is empty and somehow you find energy after your tank is empty. That is not football specific. Yeah, Coach, is, you know, from a, a scientific standpoint, is that really possible? You know, that we, we're, we're getting tough all week long. We're going we're gonna to run harder every single day because we lost this last game. We were out of shape in the fourth quarter. Uh, is, is that really something that is scientifically possible to, to go out and grind those guys for a few days of the week and then expect the best performance out of them on Friday night? That's, that's a great question. And, and the, the football mentality is that the more fatigued we get our guys throughout the week, the fresher they will be in the fourth quarter. And I have a hard time even saying that, you know, putting those words together because I am so certain that they're wrong. Instead, we need to start thinking performance-based. For example, if, if you will work the entire offseason turning your 20-mile-an-hour players into 22-mile-an-hour players, which, by the way, is very doable, you can go from 20 to 22 miles an hour in one off season. If you can do that, those guys can easily play at 20 miles an hour in the fourth quarter because their speed reserve is so high. If, if you can run 22 miles an hour, you can run 20 miles an hour all day. There is nobody that can run 18 miles an hour at their top speed who can play at 20. So speed reserve must replace the whole idea of endurance. I say two things. One is your fastest players will be the fastest players in the fourth quarter. Your slowest players will be the most fatigued players in the fourth quarter. That's just looking at endurance and conditioning through a different lens. If you are not sprint conditioned, you are not in football shape. If you are fatigued conditioned, like endurance, aerobic, blah, 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 you are not in football shape. And that's just a different way of thinking that's building a new model that hopefully will replace the 60-year model that we are still living with. So let's, let's attack this idea because we've mentioned it a little bit. But if, if I'm not doing those things, if I'm not spending my time in the offseason doing uh, mat drills or um, some of these more we've seen it come into play military type endurance type of workouts you know i've even seen where the local national guard will come in and put the guys through it etc um if we're not doing those things how are we making our team tougher well i think it goes right back to the idea that toughness is task specific if you are training navy seals to deal with frigid water deprivation, sleep deprivation, all those things, you are making them tough for the specific types of things that they must accomplish. To put football players through sleep deprivation, cold water training, um, all those things, um, you are not, you may be turning them into a better Navy SEAL, but they're not Navy SEALs. So 
so you have to become sprint based, uh, five second based. Um, and I believe toughness truly comes from your passion that you have towards winning. That if you have happy, healthy, fast, and fresh athletes who have not done mat drills, I think they're still going to play extremely tough because their love of the sport will be so much greater with a feed the cats approach. I can remember, and I think this is this is pretty common for all athletes. I was a I was a quarterback in football. I was a basketball player. I was a track athlete, and I hated practice. I mean, practice was uh, was hard, and practice is what we had to do to play the games. And the coaches were happy that practices were hard. They they were like, "This is the hell we're going to put you through, so we can have heaven, you know, on game night." And basically, we were just tired, beat up teams. And sometimes we still win, you know, won the game because dumb always beats dumber in football. That, that one of the two teams is going to win. So both teams are extremely fatigued. The faster guys on one team will still be the faster guys. Uh, the teams that execute will still execute, all that kind of stuff. But, but in many times, um, dumb beats dumber in football. Yeah, I, and I know you have some examples, some guys who really you become close with, uh, you know, football track consortium, some guys – as we record this, uh, you know, speaking at that uh, now, uh, but one of those guys is uh, Christian McCaffrey's trainer, you know, and you, we look at yeah. that guy, um, you know, definitely an elite athlete excelling in the NFL, uh, kind of bought into a, a different way of training. Talk to us a little bit about that, I guess, as a, a prime yeah. example of how this works. Well, all this um, it had better effect last year. <laughs> Christian sure. you know, had the high ankle sprain this year and the bad shoulder, you know. But uh, last year, you know, he was the darling of the NFL when basically had an uh, MVP year. But anyway, his his training throughout his earlier career between high school and the NFL was very much old school Neanderthal, get big, get ripped, uh, bodybuilding. I mean, bodybuilding happens everywhere. And a couple of years ago, uh, in Stack, um, a website called Stack wrote a beautiful article about this Brian Kula, um, who was his track coach, um, took over the training of Christian. And they did nothing but five-second work. They, they, I read the article, and I was so excited because I was like, holy hell, Christian McCaffrey is being fed by a feed, <laughs> being fed, being trained by a feed the cat guy. And so I called Brian Kula. And he said, I've never heard of you, and I've never heard of Feed the Cats. And, and so it was beautiful. It started a great friendship. And basically, he had evolved, Brian had, to a Feed the Cats mentality without ever reading any of my stuff. So it was like evolution on two different islands that evolved into the same organism. So you would think that this, that focusing on only speed and power and recovery would would somehow really hurt his endurance that somehow when he had to go to the Carolina Panther camp and they did one of those, I can't remember if it's 16, one tens or 300 yeah, shuttle yeah. or whatever, but he had to do some stupid uh, conditioning test. He won the thing. He won the thing without ever 
focusing on the big aerobic engine. Because when you focus on the big aerobic engine, you cheat speed, power, and elasticity. You cannot, you cannot chase two rabbits and catch them both. You've got to decide which rabbit you're going to chase. And speed and power and elasticity, I think, is the only, is the only thing to chase. And if you chase the other thing, you'll never have those three things that win games for you. When I, and I heard you talk about it in uh, your sprint-based course where the idea really is you will get that aerobic effect, that kind of training, by stacking anaerobic efforts. Uh, could, you, could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, it, it, you know, it goes against the, um, the textbook. There's actually a paragraph in some textbook that says um, that you have to focus on, on aerobic conditioning in the off-season so that you can do repeated anaerobic work in season. And I'm like, well, that's, just it. that's just not true because I see it all the time that my kids that train in bouts of five seconds, they run good 400 meters. They run good 200 meters in track. Um, that great speed, great speed, develops efficiency and elasticity where the cost of sprinting is very low. So it sounds weird, but speed will actually create endurance. And there is something that I talk about all the time, football shape compared to basketball shape. Um, you might have a perfect, I don't know what it means, but a perfectly conditioned football player and he will struggle the next week in basketball. Um, you, you could have a, basketball player in great shape at the end of the season and he really struggles doing a track workout and this happens all the time i tell the story often that um, i went to school with a guy that was a 14 minute three miler i mean we're, we're talking about super elite and he threw up after two sprints first basketball practice he was the most well-conditioned athlete on the entire team but he was not in basketball shape and so we must be very specific with the type of work we do and Gee, I could talk forever about gassers. Oh, my God. The, the guys that are leading the gassers are run at 50%. They're your fast guys. The guys that are, may die of a heat stroke, and kids do, um, they're running at 90% in order to just not get yelled at by their coach. So, um, so yeah, the whole take on conditioning and how it affects the performance-based stuff that we should be chasing that's what Feed the Cats is all about. Well, I've had this conversation with um, with several coaches. I think it might have been Dr. Ken Clark and I discussed this on the podcast, but the recovery, too, between the efforts. Um, we are in an up-tempo world right now, and uh, in practice, uh, we accelerate that, right? In the game, we're – we're, we're actually limited. We can go way faster in practice between plays than we can in a game because the game, uh, depending on the crew, I did a study on it, and, and where the ball lands in relation to the, the uh, line of scrimmage, you're somewhere between 9 and 12 seconds before that ball is even set again, right? And yeah. um, in, in, in practices, sometimes we try to even go faster than that. Uh, so you don't have the recovery time, et cetera. Um, it, it becomes a, a little bit of a detraining effect um, that the recovery time, especially you know, when I look at off-season programs, the recovery time 
is so important. You know, I, I see so many programs designed and, you know, I've, I've you know, read my own uh, son's program and have looked at other teams and what they do is they'll identify a, a part of their off season as, um, and kind of this goes along with the, the whole rest and recovery thing, but part of the off season as speed development, but then you look at what they're doing and there's actually no recovery time in between. And at least one of the biggest eye-opening things I learned from kind of getting into the speed development and some of these, these track guys is there's a, there's a, a definite recovery time needed after a maximum effort uh, in order to actually be training the things we're trying to do, which is ultimately we all, we all want to play faster, right? So we're kind of caught in this, this cycle. We need to go fast, need to go fast, get on the line, let's go. And at the same time, kind of that detraining effect that happens. Correct. Basically, you have to ask yourself, do we want to go at half speed for four hours? Or do we want to go at breakneck speed for short bouts with longer recovery? And, and for sure, <laughs> the latter is correct. Um, but we make that mistake, and I, this is controversial, but I, I say let games be the hardest thing you do during the week. And, you know, my father as a basketball coach would tell his teams every week that we're going to make practice so hard that games are easy. By doing that, you will develop slower athletes. Now, there are slower athletes that can play all day, but we're not looking for playing slow all day. We're looking for fast. We're looking for speed. And you talk about, I'm glad you brought up the off-season sprint workouts. The sprint workouts that people call sprint workouts are not speed workouts. They are instead speed or no, sprint capacity workouts. Sprint capacity is your ability to repeat sprint. And to a football coach, that sounds like, yes, that's why we do it. We have to repeat sprint. So, so they keep a constant state of fatigue and they say, yeah, that's good because that's what we do in the game. So basically they are, let's say you have a whole team of 19 mile an hour football players. Um, by doing speed work like that, they are going to stay at 19 miles an hour. They are not going to get faster. There is uh, David Montgomery that running back for the bears. Um, you know, he's a, mainly a, a thrower in, in, in high school, state champion, the discus and shot, I think. Uh, but he trained with Chris Corfus, my business partner, for eight weeks over the summer. And Chris uh, moved him from 21 miles an hour to 22 miles an hour in eight weeks. And from my, um, unless a guy is elite trained, you know, like been to a great sprint coach for the last year, almost every untrained athlete and that's like 99% of all football players could improve by one mile an hour in eight weeks. We're talking about the average guy. Some guys will improve two miles an hour. By doing that, improving your speed improves your ability to repeat sprint. Because if I can run 22 miles an hour, I can run 20 miles an hour 20 times. But if I can only run 19 miles an hour, geez, like the best I could hope for is maybe run 18 miles an hour 20 times or 17. But that doesn't win. The thing that wins is beating somebody. And and then just one other throw-in thing, that the faster you sprint, the faster you accelerate. The faster you sprint, the better you are at change of direction. The faster you sprint, the better your weight room numbers. Because 
everything is CNS driven. So by making speed a priority, you do not have to sacrifice the other things. You just deprioritize. Coach, uh, I, I know we could go on for hours here, and uh, I would definitely like to have you and, and Chris back at any time you want. I think it'd be great to have you guys on on a regular basis. I really uh, think what you've put together in your programs is some great stuff. I think coaches need to take a look at it. Um, for some people, I think it'll be eye-opening. It's some things you haven't considered. Other guys, I think, are, are progressing down this road. But if you would – uh, explain the resources. I think really there's two to start with that you have on CoachTube. Uh, one is sprint-based football and the other is sprint-based football too. If you would kind of give us an overview of what you put into those. Yeah, it's, it's been it's been weird, you know, without coaching. I lost my track season last year, of course, you know, COVID, all that stuff. And so I've had a lot of time. And, and so a uh, uh, way that CoachTube approached me about a feed the cat certification thing and said that I could be like the next how mummies air raid certification. I laughed at it. And, uh, but it's really gone well. Uh, so my first two courses were 101 and 102. 101 is the speed workout, which I, that's the reason why I made it 101. 102 is the X factor. That's what we do on days that we don't sprint. You can't sprint every day. You have to sprint as often as possible, as fast as possible, staying as fresh as possible. And, and, and that's for a good high school or college athlete. That's typically three days a week. So if you, if you need to practice five days a week or six, um, you need to do something on your non-sprint days in the off-season. So we do X-Factor, which is basically speed-based exercises with lots of rest, like the plyos, things like that. So there's 101, 102, and I believe it's uh, 104, which is record, rank, and publish. One of the pillars of Feed the Cat is that if, if you aren't spiked up, getting timed, um, getting recorded, and getting published, then you're not sprinting. Uh, you're just running. And you will run as fast as you think you need to without getting too tired. But if you are being timed in your sprint, um, and like I said, you could even time with a, uh, with a miles per hour gun, a radar gun, um, you can, uh, what kids will do is they'll run faster than they've ever run. And they will continue to improve. So we re we record everything we do, and and we uh, we love that. So those are the three big courses. Um, I have eight of them. Two of them are football courses. Uh, a two-hour, forty-five-minute football course by me. A three-hour and forty-five-minute uh, football course. A feed the cast football course by Brad Dixon, and then uh, Dan Casey, that a lot of people know from Raleigh, North Carolina. Just a great guy, smart, smart, smart guy. He's going to make the third football course for me, and that's going to go up probably in December. Well, Coach, some great resources then. Again, coaches, we'll put those on uh, the show notes and the links to the CoachTube courses. Uh, Coach, how can our guys connect with you? Um, uh, my only online presence is Twitter. That's at PNTrack. Uh, I coach at Plainfield North. So it's at PNTrack. Um, and then, you know, I, uh, gee, I, I, somebody told me the other day that, uh, feed the cats is, is Googled 600 times a week. So, uh, so you can find feed the cats, you know, just on search or, or search for me. Um, I got, I'm just now starting a little bit of a YouTube presence. So, so I'm easy to get a hold of. I publish my cell phone number 
um, so people can get a hold of me easy. Well, Coach, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Like I said, we've only scratched the surface here with what you've done with Feed the Cats, and would love to have you back again to discuss more of this and help coaches. Oh, I've had a blast. I, I look forward to coming back. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five-star for rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. That's at coachandcoordinator.com. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.